Welcome to This Is Influence. It's a show about how B2B brands and executives can become more influential. My guest this week is Julie Atherton, the author of the fantastic new book called B2B Social Selling Strategy. When it comes to using social media to grow your audience and generate leads, there are few people better or more knowledgeable in the world than Julie. If you're interested in anything to do with how to connect with customers on social media to drive sales, you're going to absolutely love this podcast. This is old. This is new. This is Influence. Julie, welcome to This is Influence. Hi, I'm really delighted to be here. So thanks for asking me, Nathan. Super excited to have you on the show, Julie. Um, I recently finished your book, B2B Social Selling Strategy. Absolutely loved it. Explain to our audience, please, if you could, what B2B social selling is. So it's not really selling, although at the end of the day, it does mean that you'll have many more leads and many more sales. It's really about building long-term professional relationships using social media. And ultimately, they will grow your own reputation, the reputation of your organization, and lead to kind of much more effective working outcomes, you know, so whether that's driving leads or driving sales or or building kind of deeper relationships with your existing customers and clients or developing your own personal brand, you know, all of those things are, are part of it. But ultimately, it's about relationship building. So the name itself is quite misleading uh, if it's not selling, it, although it yeah. is, but with a longer term lens and, and view. I think it was interesting, actually, you say that when I interview people for the book, they lots of them were saying, I hate the fact it's called social selling. Because mm. actually, if you focus on the sales, you're not really driving the relationships. You're trying to be too t- short term. So you actually want to be longer term. You want to think about um, the relationship, which will ultimately become the sale. And that's it. So, so we need a, a, different, a different name for this because... The term selling focuses, in my mind, it feels, as you say, very transactional, very short term, very much, you know, I do this for you and, and, and you, you know, reciprocate. Whereas actually what you're talking about and what you're advocating here is building relationships over a long period of time, which adds mutual value to both the seller, um, you know, the seller has value, but also the person who is, is buying also has value as well. Yeah, because I think I think we're moving, aren't we, away from transactional kind of um, approaches, whether we're in B2B or B2C, really. We want to build longer term, uh, repeat, loyal kind of deeper kind of connections, whether that be at a brand level, at individual to individual level and Therefore, you know, if we just focus on short-term sales, if we focus on those short-term transactions, we might have success, but it's not going to lead to long-term success. And it's not going to enable us to differentiate ourselves and some of the benefits of the experience of being part of our brand are from our competitor set. So I think B2B social selling is recognizing that if you're if you're in B2B, in that sales relationship, although targets are important, although all those things are important, 
the longevity of your business, the longevity of yourself as a professional um, business development person or client relationship development person or a sales professional, your long-term success is going to be from having those deeper connections and and actually social media enables that and supports that it's not the only channel you're going to be using but it, it does support that really effectively so what's an example of a good b2b social selling campaign so i think a really great example is copy house which are a uh, technology content marketing agency so they create content for the tech sector and Catherine Strachan, who's the founder, set up the business and she really has driven her, um, grown that company through a combination of the marketing that's going on through Copyhouse and their own corporate LinkedIn channels alongside growing her own professional brand on LinkedIn and and her network within there. And so those two elements working in synergy means that you know, they've got all of the authority of the business, but alongside that, she's talking about leadership. She's talking about some of the challenges that she's had setting up her own company. And she's demonstrating the culture of the business. So you kind of get this real person who's got a much bigger network than often the brand has, but supported by the brand. And if you think about how we buy, we don't really buy from companies, we buy from people. So she's become the introducer and the persuader of why people would buy from Copyhouse. But if she just did that just as herself without the company and without all the marketing support that goes alongside that, she couldn't have as much of an impact as she's having or they're having this way. And they've grown really dramatically, you know, over the last sort of two to three years. And they've they've become, you know, really big player in this sector from a standing start. And it's all been done really through through B2B social selling. I mean, there's so many things there that I want to drill into. I guess number one is this whole idea of the salesperson becoming their own brand and taking ownership of their own personal brand, which is something that I think that every B2B executive should be doing and needs to do in this age of, of social, where if you're kind of invisible on social, then you pretty much don't exist, which is kind of, you know, something that we, we go back to time and time again. Um, and that emphasis on, on your own personal LinkedIn profile or social profile over the, over that of, of the company. So where is that driven from? And how, you know, how should the, the, the salesperson that maybe isn't the founder or the or the owner of an organization take ownership of their own social profile to start social selling because it needs to be done if you if you're in an organization it needs to be done in uh, in coordination with with the with the rest of the marketing team they need to have oversight as to kind of what you're saying and, and who you're interacting with could you just give us an idea of like how this would play out in a more of a corporate setting where you're not you know the founder or the ceo of an organization so I think this is where it really is about cultural and organisational transformation as well as sort of individuals, because we own our own social profiles. So, you know, as a business, you know, there's an ethical and a um, employee relationship 
piece that needs to be agreed. You know, I can't force you to use your own social profile to sell for my business, you know. So you've got to come to some kind of agreement where it's mutually beneficial and that person feels comfortable doing that. And as a business, there's a risk involved because that person can take, once they leave your company, they take that black book with them, they take that profile and that presence with them. So there's a real two-way trust relationship that needs to be built. But given it, once that's in place, if you have, you know, you need to have that in, uh, agreed and in place. And as long as that, that, that's working, then I think there's a real benefit for the individual because you, you should be growing your professional brand in a way that represents you, represents your personality, the things that you're interested in, the skills and experience that you have. And that grows your own profile, your own employability, your own future success. So there's a benefit to you as an individual. And then that benefit rubs off on your employer and on their company because their business looks like it employs all these really great people who are really able and, you know, competent and expert in what they do. So as a salesperson, what you don't want to be famous for on LinkedIn is selling until you want to apply for another job in sales. You actually want to be famous for what your knowledge, expertise and experiences in the kind of business area that you work in. And also to have some kind of personality coming through your own perspective on that. And that's what's going to, that's what I think gives the benefit to the individual as well as to the brand, because you're able to take that with you when you go and, and you're growing, you know, your career and your social professional profile at the same time. So one of the great things that I love about your book is that you provide a really simple framework for anyone that wants to get started with B2B social selling. Um, and actually you take a lot of the fear and uncertainty away from how do I do this? How do I implement this across my sales force? Um, could you just walk us through the finer points of the B2B social selling framework that you outline in the book? Yeah. So, um, I wanted to really have something that was really practical as well as, uh, you know, that you felt like when you when you got to the end of the book, you knew how you were going to implement it and you knew how you were going to deliver it. So I looked at kind of all of the research that was behind the current way that people buy and how much of that is done online, um, you know, independently without really sort of speaking directly necessarily to people. And and how far down that process uh, potential buyers might go before they actually ever speak to anyone and pick up the phone and speak to somebody or, or meet with somebody. And so I wanted it to really think about what their needs were when they were going through that process, when they were doing that research and and how they were moving that. So I kind of mapped this customer, the buyer's journey, and actually based that very largely on research that Gartner have been doing, which is really interesting research that they've done. Although I did add in some extra elements from my own sort of experience and, and, and additional things that I'd looked at. And so that takes you right from problem identification, you know, or sort of uh, right all the way through, you know, all the way through that process to when you've bought and then through at the end. So that kind of customer journey with all their needs. And then against that, how do you map 
what we need to do as sellers in order to meet our own goals, but actually to be able to be found or to find those um, buyers really early on and also support them all the way through those steps. And so the kind of two steps, the seller's pathway and the buyer's journey, they kind of map, mar- you know, map to each other in, in the way I've looked at it in the book so that you're, as a, as an, as a, seller you're intuitively responding to to those needs that they have at each stage and you're also becoming a partner in decision making rather than somebody who's just driving to the sale because there's no point you pushing a sale when somebody isn't ready and sometimes we find it difficult to recognize those signals and understand um linkedin have done a huge amount of work and research actually into people's mindsets on the platform and and they know that only 20% of people are in buying mode on LinkedIn at any one time. So sending loads of sales messages is really crazy, you know, because people are just going to find it annoying because they're not in that space. And if you look at the work that the IPA have done, uh, you know, about how much time we should spend brand building versus how much time we should spend in doing, you know, lead generation, sales generation, sales activation. It's kind of like 60, 70% we should be spending doing um, brand building and, and, and the rest doing the actual sales activation. So it's that balance, isn't it, that we've got to think about all the time. That's it. And, and I would even, even push back and say it, it's, it's less than that. I, you know, um, if you look at any of the research that B2B, LinkedIn Institute, put out and, and Peter Field, you know, they say that regardless of whether it's a B2B or B2C product, only, only 5% of your market are in, are, are in market at any given time. So that means 95% of the people that you're selling to are just not interested in hearing from you or, or your sales messages. Um, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be still talking to them. And I think that's what you're talking about here with B2B social selling. It's about building a relationship with people over a period of time so that when they are in market, they're more like, likely to think about you rather than anyone else because you haven't built that relationship. Yeah. And also, if you think about it, they might not be in sales mode, but they are thinking about the problems they've got with their business, the issues that are facing on a daily basis. And although they might not be ready to buy something to solve that at the moment, they still want ideas on how that could be made better and how that could be solved. So if we understand the conversations and the places where they're looking and the issues that they have, we start to be able to influence not only um, when they may decide to make that purchase or that sale or start to think about it, how they might solve that problem, but also even earlier than that, how they might understand that problem better. So that's where we start to really have this expertise. And this is why as a salesperson, as a really strong um, business development person, you know your business really well and you have expertise that is not about making it yes you're a good sales but you make you can make a sale out of it but your expertise and knowledge of what you offer and how that helps your customer is really powerful and so often I see 
you know, um, people thinking, well, I'm good at sales. Actually, you're, you, you, that's a great skill and you are, but you also have this real knowledge and you should be really proud of that. And you should be building up that in your reputation for that, because that's what's going to make you stand out. And that's actually why you're a really good salesperson. And so it's using that much more effectively and not using it um, and what I'm talking about is using that strategically as an organization, not just, you know, a random ad hoc kind of way. Mm. I think a lot of people, I don't have any data to, to back this up, but my feeling is that I think a lot of executives, even though they do have a lot of domain expertise and can add a lot of value to their marketplace, they don't want to come across as too promotional and too pushy and, oh, I'm creating more, more content again and again. Do you get that sense or, you know, is that a barrier that's kind of stopping a lot of people from doing this, even intuitively, even though they know that this is the right thing for them to do? Yeah, definitely. So that confidence is really, a, um, really is a barrier. And I think that's why you, if you start to do this, you need to give that support from the marketing team in particular um, and training a, a, alongside it. But you also need to set expectations. So, you know, first of all, just kind of, try just listen go there listen try you know go into those platforms don't you don't have to respond and also be true to how you are as a person so there's a lot of public shouting out but actually I've just done some research into um are there any behaviors on LinkedIn that are trust limiting rather than trust building. Mm. So there's been a, you know, there's a lot of things that we're told to do on the algorithm and there's a lot of things that the tools enable us to do. So for instance, on LinkedIn, you know, we're, we're encouraged to celebrate when it's somebody's birthday, you know, and, and, you know, publicly shout out about that in comments and things. And although that's great for um, algorithm and for growing your profile and all of those things, actually the research that I've done indicates that, we all find that slightly icky and <laughs> it's a little bit like, oh, I'm just sort of showing um, that I know all these senior people and I'm just trying to be out there and be seen. And actually, it's much more powerful to send that message as a direct message to somebody, you know, and, and uh, you know, put a little personal comment in there than put it in those public comments. So, we have to be quite careful sometimes that we don't have to behave. We might see a lot of behavior, but that doesn't necessarily mean we have to behave like that. We should behave true to ourselves, but there's a lot of tools on there that we can use that enable us to understand how people are feeling and also how we might respond and what our cadence ought to be. You know, should we be out there every day? Yeah, we might need to be out there seven times a week to maximize our reach on LinkedIn, that's not, that's not social selling. Social selling is about relationship building. So we don't have to be out there seven times a, you know, a week doing that. A couple more questions before we let you go, Julie, this has been super fascinating by the way. Uh, and we need a much longer show to kind of get through all of the questions that I want to ask you. But I think a lot of B2B businesses see consumer stars on TikTok and on Instagram, and they're helping sell B2C products and services. I think there's this growing awareness now that B2B brands can also do the, do the same thing by leveraging 
um, experts in their field to help them sell products or services, or at least build their brand, build trust. I think there are a lot of things that B2B influencers can help B2B brands do. Maybe talk a little bit about what B2B influencer marketing is, maybe where is where has it come from? And, you know, for, for those B2B executives that aren't as familiar with it, maybe just, you know, talk about some of the, the benefits that it can drive for B2B brands in particular. Yeah. So I think, I think what we, what we have to remember is that in B2B, a decision is a very, very frightening thing to do really. You know, most B2B decisions will have some impact on, you know, when you're buying products and services as a business, will have some some impact on your personal reputation and potentially career. So depending on how big it is, are you putting the whole, you know, massive IT system across the globe or whatever it is, or you're buying, um, you know, something for a small office, but but ultimately, you know, somebody has got to use this stuff. It's their job and you've got to make the right decision. So we, we really need to feel that we have made the right choice. And often the way that we, are reassured that we're making the right choice is through this kind of confirmation that other people think it's a good idea as well. And that's pretty basic sort of statement to make, but we often forget about it in in marketing sales, but it is so, so powerful. And so then, then there's a whole range of people that we trust, you know, so that might go from people that we work with, um, to uh, people that we see as being experts in the field, to, um, uh, you know, to, to sort of professional kind of influencer type people as well. So we've got this whole range of people that we might, that we, or, or previous customers as well, you know, like case studies work really well in B2B, for example. Um, but actually we kind of, and we'll put some layers of trust on there, depending on how close they are to us, you know, how much we believe them and all of those things. But we genuinely will believe people out who aren't, um, you know, so other customers, um, experts or opinion leaders will will trust these people more probably, um, you know, than than the business, right? To at the end of the day, because we, you know, we're they're looking at those as kind of fa- va- fairly independent. So I think I think we have to we have to think about that. And in social influencers are just part of that trust network. Really, they're 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 providing us um, opinion and insight into kind of um, products and services that we might not find otherwise, or we might not feel confident enough to go with otherwise. So that's where I think it starts from. And then I think the value that a business has, you know, the where, where B2B is moving to is a very similar place to where B2C has moved quite rapidly over the last year or so. Eventually. Into this very sort of micro It only influencer. takes B2B 10 years. Well, I think, I think B2C learns a lot from B2B as well. I think they kind of mutually, but, but I think, you know, they went for influence definitely was a you know, was a B2C led kind of space and this micro influencer. So having a strategy for B2B like many B2C brands have, where you've got a 
range of influencers that are working with you in part in longer term partnership relationships is where where b2b is moving to and that's where b2c is really in a sweet spot at the moment so i think b2b more and more brands will be looking for you know this is what i'm i'm trying to do i'm trying to make an impact in this space i'm trying to build reputation in this space i'm trying to be the safe option to choose. And I'm going to do that. And I'm going to reinforce that by having a range of influencers who work on my behalf. So they could be, you know, people who've got huge key opinion leaders with huge followings, but they might be more likely to be smaller, more niche people who are more expert in the field. And you might have three or four of them that you work with and they start to help you. And then underneath that, you've then got your colleagues who might also be experts and could you could create influencers from those or customers as well so there's a kind of whole range of layers that you want to be looking at but I think this um this long-term planning for influence is really important I couldn't agree with you more and it's a super exciting evolving space right so this this is the part of the show where we ask all of our guests to share one thing that they've seen on social media recently that they really want to share with our audience. It could be business related. It could not be business related. It could be fun, uh, engaging, lighthearted. But is there anything that you've come across recently on social that you're just itching and burning to share with our audience? Well, I suppose my favorite is a a recent post. I, I actually came across it on LinkedIn, but I've since seen it on a few other channels as well. And it's a short video clip from the 1970s uh, TV show, Tomorrow's World. And it, 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 it predicts that by 1981, we all, more people will be working from home with their own personalized workstation. And it takes you through how to book a flight, <laughs> send a message. I don't yeah. think they call it an email. And yeah, it's absolutely, it's very, very classic sort of orangey brown 1970s video clip. So worth a look and I'll, I'll give you the link. Julie, thank you so much for being on This Is Influence. Thank you. This Is Influence is a production of Bridge Growth, the B2B influencer agency for technology brands. I could not have produced this show without our amazing staff here at Bridge. Tyler Baller is our booker. Sean Randwaller is our production assistant. Christoph Boaszczek is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to This Is Influence. <laughs>